Hello listeners, Andy Heiss here with a quick message from one of our sponsors. Are you a student looking to sell your art? Look no further than artbystudents.com. Their platform is specifically designed to help students showcase and sell their work to a wider audience. With artbystudents.com, you can easily create a profile, upload your art, and start selling in no time. Plus, their simple and secure payment system makes it easy for buyers to purchase your work. So check out artbystudents.com today to get started. That's artbystudents.com. Welcome to the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast, making art work. We highlight how entrepreneurs align their artistry, passion, and vision to create and pursue opportunities to capture value in the arts. The views expressed by guests on the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the podcast or its hosts. The appearance of a guest on the podcast, the venture they represent, or reference to any product or service does not imply an endorsement or recommendation by the podcast or its hosts. The content provided is for entertainment and informational purposes only and does not constitute business advice. Here are your hosts, Andy Heiss and Nick Petrella. Hello, Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast listeners. My name is Andy Heiss. And I'm Nick Petrella. We have Leandra Drum with us today. She's an artist whose works are sold in shops and galleries across the United States and Canada. Her artwork combines storytelling with humor and functionality. Leandra is known for her crystal wedding bowls decorated with words and charming figures spinning tails from bottom to the top, as well as dinner plates and glassware. In pewter, she creates fanciful switch plates, wall hangings, ornaments, and measuring spoons guaranteed to bring smiles. Her collections have been featured in Bon Appetit magazine and the Boston Globe Sunday magazine and in newspapers throughout the U.S. Leandra's website is in the show notes so you can see her imaginative art. Thanks for being on the podcast, Leandra. Uh, thank you for having me. Let's start by having you tell us about your career path after college. Um, well, I'm going to back that up a little bit. Um, as uh, a young person, um, for the first part of my life, from baby in the basket to about age 10, uh, my parents taught at, at Penland School of Crafts, a craft uh, school in the mountains of North Carolina. And we grew up as kind of rugrats uh, playing with, you know, the ceramics from the ceramic studios, watching glass blowers blow glass, um, making jewelry. And so I always had an association with art as playtime. And I didn't really think of it as something that I could create a livelihood from. So I entered into high school, signed up for the engineering program. I was good at math at that time, so a little bit. (laughs) Um, And I was fortunate that an art instructor identified me as somebody who could benefit from a college credit plus program at Akron Mm -hmm. University. And I took my first um, college level class with Mark Soblin, who is a artist and sculptor And from there, I learned that there was an educational component that I would benefit from in the arts, that it wasn't just about creation and inspiration, but that it was also about history, technique, medium. Um, And that encouraged me to kind of combine the math and the art and um, uh, get my BFA in uh, graphic design at Kent State University. 
While I was at Kent State University, I was still creating crafts. It was just my nature. And I was known for having sort of a black market of crafts that my fellow students would come to me for before the holidays so they could buy presents for their family. I should have known then, but I didn't. And then my senior year, I passed by a sandblasting cabinet and I'm old school. I was on the edge of computer technology. So I had a little bit of training, but the output hadn't matched the training at that time. And so I was using other forms to try to recreate the idea of a printed image, um, passed by the sandblast cabinet and thought, hey, this is a great way to try to make, um, you know, something, an impression on the glass. And I absolutely fell in love with the process. I love the idea of creating a permanent image on a surface. And so I started to create etched glassware in the living room of my apartment in college. <laughs> and before I graduated, or when I graduated, I had a choice whether to pursue a field or to pr pursue a career in the crafts market or to go after those interviews in the graphic design mm -hmm. field. Um, I would say that the difference between the graphic design field is that you have a client that is asking you to replicate their vision. And with the crafts, I'm working, to, I can create whatever it is that my heart desires. And if you're fortunate, you have a following um, and you don't really have to hear from the people who don't like your work. So, so I, I naturally chose to go in the craft field. So that's how I kind of ended up where I was after college. Yeah, that's, that's a great story. I, I love how you said, um, you know, your 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 friends and peers would come to you to buy gifts for their for their parents, and you said, and I didn't get it at that point. But it, it's just it's just, you know these things happen to us, and we don't don't even know you know how to make sense of them until no, I don't know. it's very like, yeah, yeah go ahead. it's very strange to to spend all that money on you know an education which was well worth it i absolutely recommend it sure. and it has served me in other ways that i never expected but to walk out you know on that graduation day and think hey this isn't the path that i'm going to follow um i often think back to something somebody said where um your you should follow your early love of what you like to do that that's probably the path you should follow if you like to dance if you like art you know that that's probably what you were meant to do. And so it was always there in front of me. As I said, I just saw it as sort of a, a play. And I didn't yeah. know I could really enjoy and have fun, you know, doing what I do as a career. Yeah, that, that's cool. Uh, and so as Nick stated in the opening, uh, you sell in different shops and galleries. Um, how does... Um, What's the arrangement with those stores and galleries like on the business side? Is it, is it consignment? Is it wholesale? How does that work? Yeah, so typically we sell wholesale to galleries on net 30 terms. Um, it's been more beneficial to us because we get sort of an, an immediate um, compensation right. that we can re-input into our work to buy materials. And it's, you know, my mom had always told me that the best investment you can make early in your career is in your own work or your business. So we just kind of regenerate that. But um, consignment is usually something you like to do if you want to take, uh, you know, you have a larger piece and you might want it back if the gallery is unable to sell it or the gallery wants to take a chance on uh, selling something new, but they were a little bit uncertain about their market. So, um, but wildly after saying that, 
I sell to through my parents' gallery, Dundrum Studios and Gallery um, Consignment, and that's because they're you know kind of an old-fashioned breed where they have a 60-40% split, where the uh, 60% goes to the artist, and that gives us um, you know a little higher higher capital, and um, also it gives us direct feedback as to what's selling to the customers a little right. more into. Was it helpful in your career to have parents who are artists? I I imagine seeing them deal with customers for many years left an impression. Yes, I've definitely benefited from having, um, you know, family involved in the arts. My parents are a fantastic example of successful artists. My father, Dondrum, is a sculptor who works in metals. And my mom is a fiber artist, Lisa Trump, sorry, is a fiber artist who um, taught for many years in the public school system and then retired to run the gallery. And when they started the gallery, it was literally my father searched for a place to set up his foundry. And they had a small showroom in the front and they had a tiny bell. And he said they carried their work and the work of their friends. And when a customer come in, they'd ring the bell, they'd come running up from the foundry, service that customer, and then go back to work. Um, you know, it clearly has grown from that point. But in those early age, they were able to supplement that income through, you know, commission work or my mom's teaching. So it was a real learning lesson for me um, seeing them grow a business. It also a lot of my perspective comes from owning your own business. And um, that was a huge learning lesson for for me. And I also I want to add that we are a family of artists. So a lot of people don't know that my history extends beyond my parents that my grandfather on my mother's side was a well-recognized painter and sculptor in Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, His work Mm. is in the Erie, Pennsylvania Museum. He was a teacher for many years and he has some very accomplished students. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with pop art and Richard Aniskevich, um, but he, the story I was told was that Cleveland um, School of Art would take anybody he recommended because they knew those students would have a strong foundation. Mm-hmm. So we were exposed to his his work growing up, as well as my father's side. His father was this wild mechanic inventor who built his own prop planes and created an amusement, well, a recreation center, built a man-made lake. He built wild... Um, uh, amusement toys like uh he took um merry-go-round piece um the sculptures the animals from merry-go-round pieces and put them on these mechanical spider arms that would twirl around and go up and down so a lot of my dad and my ability to construct and assemble i think comes from that lineage so when we're looking at a project we're always thinking about how it how it how it connects or goes together so, yeah. which of your family, who who in your family inherited the uh, that particular art? That, well, well it's my dad, I, like he always had this amazing sense of, of like how space works. So, over the years, as I watched the gallery grow from this one room garage, he would f- he you know they build it upward vertically, but he would find space where I didn't see space, and I think it was mm. part of that. You know, um, he he was creating different rooms. I, I think it also translated to, um, you know, his techniques for soldering and assemblage. And um, it, it's still an area where I'm learning. Like I, all my projects, I do think about 
how it can be assembled while I'm in the design process. But I still don't do a lot of um, three-dimensional work. My, my work tends to be on the flatter side. Um, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. So it sounds, I mean, very much... Very much in the you know self sufficient DIY sort of <laughs> attitude, right? I mean, if you need something, you figure out how to do it. You you want to sell your work? We're going to open a gallery and sell it ourselves. And you know, I, it seems like that's just kind of you know in, to, at its core for for your family and and your your upbringing. Yeah, I think that that you know growing up in um, and owning your own business really gives you that idea of ownership and um, in investment into what you do um, because you have a direct feedback and um, a- association with those, um, whether something succeeds or not. Yeah. Um, and it also, it, it can be a negative, like I, my, both my kids went to Miller South School for the visual and performing arts, which is amazing. But um, I remember going to my first meeting for, as an arts booster parent for the visual arts program for my daughter. And we're sitting at this table and I didn't realize until that moment how insular, um, you know, visual artists can be. They need to sort of tune out to go into their own head to design and we're sitting around this table and they're like, hey, we need a table up in the gallery space. And they're saying, well, maybe I could get one from the office. Uh, we might donate. And I'm just going inside screaming, like, build it, build it, make it. Like, you know, bake a mosaic top. It's just, you know, that's how I approach yeah. everything is like, yeah. how can I create this from scratch? How can I make something um, not, how can I buy it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, artists can be insular sometimes, and um, we often think of the lone artist, right, working in their studio, making their things. Uh, but there's also, um, you, it sounds like you you enjoy sort of the community aspect of it, too. Have you done some community art projects? Yes, absolutely. Um, I was fortunate after, you know, launching my career as a craftsman about, well, it was after I met my husband and got married and um, I had an opportunity to um, develop and create a festival called the Light Up Lantern Festival in the um, University Park area. And that's mm-hmm. kind of around Akron University and um, the gal- my parents' gallery. Um, it was uh, originally started as a method to engage the community and to build support for the development they were creating from the university. So um, it was, I showed up for a board meeting in which they assigned duties and I didn't know that was gonna happen. And fortunately they said, hey, you can be event planner. And I took it and just ran with it. Um, I decided, so, so I worked with the community to teach lantern making, and then I collaborated with artists around um, the area. I was a politician kind of half the year, just trying to, to identify artists and their skill set, and then encouraging them to be involved in this event. And what we would, I have to backtrack a little bit, because the prefaces for the idea kind of came from 
um, seeing a small, I have uh, friends that are in theater, they're performers, mm-hmm. and I, they had um, a venue where they did a backstage performance. It was very intimate. And as I jokingly say, you could see the sweat coming off their faces. <laughs> but I was just entranced by that. And I'm like, why didn't I know about this until so late in my life? And are other people having this experience? And so I wanted to bring that to and make it available to anyone for free. And so it kind of started by engaging them and also working on um, uh, blurring that line between performance and art. And so what we would do is we collaborate with artists to um, build stages for musicians, theater performers, and then... um, uh, we, we wanted to enhance that space and we would ask. So uh, an example would be that um, we would choose themes each year. And one year we chose um, kind of gypsy caravan as our theme. So we worked to build a caravan and that caravan would have a curtain. And the first performance would be, we had a, um, a guitarist who had a double neck guitar and he would do a performance. And then we would pull down a white screen and we had Akron University students who um, uh, created um, laser-cut shadow puppets. Mm. And um, they did an amazing performance with the shadow puppets, and then we would pull up the screen, and then we had Dr. Sketchies um, with a a life model, and families would come over and draw on these light boards. But um, it was an amazing lesson, and you can enhance someone's life in such a with such a small element of art in such an amazing way. So I'm sorry, I'm meandering on, but one thing I specifically remember is I would go around, besides putting out the fires all night about electronics (laughs) and everything else, but I would go around with this sort of um, black light liquid and I would take two siblings and I would draw on one's face and they wouldn't see anything and the other siblings looking like, I don't want my face painted and then you would shine, you'd have them close their eyes of course, but you'd shine this black light on their face and all of a sudden they had this whole amazing design in their face and then the second sibling would be like scream me 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 but just in little ways it it just became magical so but i I should say on the business side i learned about grant grant writing Mm. um seeking support um and sponsorship um i am lucky that when i started there was a lot i didn't know um and i learned that along the way because if i had known how many permits and other things that i need to acquire to produce this festival i'd probably been so overwhelmed but yeah it was just incredible collaboration where one artist has a skill set and another one combines to do a greater project was just huge learning lesson for me to not be insular yeah do you do a lot of grant writing um, I don't now. Um, you know, I did then. Um, and I, it was important for me. I was willing to go through that process because I thought it was a per- important um, component to learn. Um, and it was, you know, when you're part of a nonprofit, that was very important. I don't, in yeah. my own business, have a need for that component. Yeah. You specialize in pewter and etched glassware. Is there a high barrier to entry for others who want to work in those mediums? Um, I've, I, I kind of like to think that you can start at any level. Um, there is an expense in purchasing equipment. Um, when I do the etched glassware, when I started out, um, I started out by 
going to secondhand stores and buying blank glass pieces. And um, then I would cut all my masking materials by hand so I could do it in a very affordable way. And, and I have to say that at the time I was doing this, technology isn't where it is, wasn't where it is today. Um, so I actually, you know, that was the method I had to use. I bought a secondhand um, sandblasting cabinet that looked like a small incubator and a secondhand compressor. So I, I, you know, there was an expense in acquiring that equipment, but I think now it, it's more affordable because we have more like fab labs and um, like a bounce innovation hub is a place where you might get a uh, head start in starting your craft and have access to equipment. So I wouldn't say huge barrier, but um, it, it's it's easier now with having those tools available to us. But um, it was I mean, it, it did take a little time to get to where I was, where I could afford a cutter and and yeah. and sort of modernize my business. What made me think of that, and it's, it's actually a follow-up question, is if, if you're working with acid or sandblasting, and, and I don't know how big your operation is, do you need air scrubbers or any other type of waste abatement? No, so we're not, we're, we're a small scale. We actually okay. work out of a, a residential building and um, I kind of have a circular system with my sandblast, uh, sandblast cabinet. I use um, oxidized aluminum as opposed to, um, you know, sil- silicone sand where you don't want to get silicosis. <laughs> um, right. So it's heavier and the weight after you um, shoot it through the nozzle, it pretty much falls to the bottom of the cabinet. But I do have a... Um, uh, air, air filter system that captures, you know, the particles that are flying through the air in the cabinet, recaptures it and sends it back through the tube. So it, it, it kind of stays within that unit. So I don't have to worry as much about, you know, a larger system or yeah. a waste abatement issue. That's, that's good in case anyone from OSHA is listening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm clean. I'm clean. I'm environmental. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Visit artsentrepreneurshippodcast.com to learn more about our guest and how you can help support artists, the arts, and this podcast. 